This episode is brought to you by AVMA PLIT. The AVMA Professional Liability Insurance Trust offers complimentary student malpractice coverage to all active SAFMA members. So if you aren't already enrolled, visit avmaplit.com unleashed to sign up for free today. Welcome to another episode of Vet School Unleashed, Dissecting the DVM where we dissect topics and issues relating to life in veterinary school. My name's Seth Williams, and I'm your host. I'm a veterinary student at the University of Missouri College of Veterinary Medicine. So I really wish I had done this episode when I first started vet school. So I'm really hoping you first, second, and even third-year vet students out there will get some good pointers from today's episode. I am super excited to welcome on two fellow fourth-year students and good friends of mine here at Mizzou, Kelly Sandlin and Jenny Howard. We're going to have a sort of roundtable talk on what, if anything, would we do differently during our time here in vet school. So let's go. Jenny and Kelly, welcome to the podcast. What's going on? <laughs> oh, hey, not son. much. <laughs> Thanks for having us. It's Anytime. Pleasure to be here. We're, we're giggly because we just came off a long day of clinics. Very long. And brains are mush and we have some wine and beer in hand. So who knows <laughs> what's going to happen? It. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so thank you very much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. No problem. Uh, I think this is going to be pretty fun. Before we get into the topic for today, tell us a bit about yourself. Kelly, you first. So I am Kelly. I am from a small town right outside of St. Louis on the Illinois side. It's important that I distinguish that. Um, <laughs> you, St. Louis people will understand. It's a point of contention. And um, I grew up, I have been riding horses my entire life i love all animals um yeah i mean just pretty typical small town stuff cool cool jenny so my name is jenny i am from st louis um obviously grew up with lots of animals uh went to a small college in st louis webster university for undergrad played two sports volleyball and track where she was a star and um yeah i just i'm out here trying to be a crazy cat lady good i think you're on your way right very much so i have three cats and looking to add more good good (laughs) that'll be exciting all right so uh graduation is coming up pretty darn soon i think uh i know that this won't make much sense if people are listening to this a year from now, but I think graduation is in 91 days or Very something stressful. like that. Yeah. Yes. Um, but what are you guys doing after graduation? So I am becoming a true son. As somebody that went to Mizzou for undergrad, for vet school, I was fortunate enough to get an equine medicine and surgery internship here for next year as well. Awesome. Congrats. Thank you. That's big. What about yeah. you? Uh, Yeah, so um, I am very interested um, in internal medicine and oncology, so I actually have a rotating internship uh, this coming year at Auburn University, so I'm very excited to move down to Alabama. Awesome. Congrats on that. Thank you. What do you think? I know you said internal medicine, onco. Mm -hmm. If you had to pick one right now. Internal medicine. Okay. Yep. Encompasses oncology and medicine and a little bit of ECC, all of my true loves. Sweet. So far. Sweet. Well, good luck to both of you. Thank you. Well, thank you very much. So today's topic, which I kind of, I thought about this because I thought that, wow, I really wish I had heard something like this in my first year of vet school about what would graduating seniors have changed or done differently in their 
four years of vet school. Now that we're almost done, I figured I'd ask you to because you guys have a lot of experience in vet school. You're fun. And uh, oh, I've got you. some... <laughs> I've got some other responses from from some people on social media from their ideas too, so I'll I'll throw those in here and there too. So um, we'll just go around and kind of just talk and converse about yeah, what which is we my specialty. So. Good. All right. So <laughs> who's first? What? Just let's start with anything random. Go. Kelly, uh, you first. Okay, I'll take the lead. So if I had to say one thing that I would definitely change. My didactics were not the prime of my life, I would say. It was a hard time for me to transition. And I know a lot of people say this, transitioning in from undergrad into vet school, that where it's like, oh, you know, like you understand how to study, all this stuff. For me, I think my big thing was to, when I finally figured out the best way to study, it was almost a little too late. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wish I would have tried different methods of studying a lot earlier, like I did a lot of group studying the first couple of IPs, and then I finally found a really good niche with um, one of my really good friends, Jenny Howard, sitting over there. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) And then I learned that I did a lot better with like a quiz and back and forth kind of studying. So yeah, I think what happened with me is I kind of like got stuck trying to be like, oh, if I just read everything, that's how I should learn it. Mm -hmm. And it just didn't work out for me. Right. So I... I will follow that because someone on social media replied to when I asked this question and they said something very similar to that group studying is something they would change is that they would have done more group studying um, because and I think they were partly joking, but I think there's some truth in it is that we all say that we study better alone, but that we're like lying to ourselves. Oh, 100%. Uh, and like at the time you're like, I screw it. I don't want to study with a group. I just want to do my own thing. But then once you do it with a group, you're like, like, damn, this actually is much better. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Because studying with Kelly and with other friends, you just realize, you know, they may have a different way of remembering things that you might not and mm-hmm. bring up different, you know, viewpoints of looking at the material that can really make it stick. Whereas you would have never thought of that if you were just studying by yourself. Right. Yeah. And I like just to jump on that. One of my big things that helped me a lot was going into school and we would have these little groups right before exams and like we would get there at like seven o'clock an hour before the exam just to sit around and study but like kind of like joke around make like like relax into it Mm -hmm. but we would ask questions in ways that we weren't expecting like the other person wasn't expecting and half the time like the questions would show up on the exam the way that somebody else asked them right so i think that Group studying is very beneficial in that, like, it makes you think differently. Like, everybody thinks differently. Like, use that to your advantage. And I will say, too, that group studying allows you to teach your friends. Mm -hmm. And I don't know about you guys, but for me, I felt like I learned the subject matter better when I was trying to teach it to somebody else. Oh, definitely. 100%. Teaching is, you know, if you can teach it, then you have the best grip on the material and definitely helped me a lot when I was studying with groups is having someone teach me and then me teaching some someone something that mm-hmm. I was more comfortable with. Right. All right. What else? I know for me, um, and this relates specifically to the didactic portion, um, you know, not, I think something I would have done differently was not really pay attention to what other people were doing. Um, you know, because 
you know, didactic, it seems to be all about the grades because, you know, that's all we're doing is studying and taking tests. But, um, you know, sometimes I'll get caught up in the, oh my God, you know, I got a C or, you know, I got a C, but this person got a B or, you know, this person Mm -hmm. got an A, but I got a B and like, you know, oh my gosh, what did they do that I didn't? And sometimes I got caught up in that and I wish I wouldn't have. I wish I would have just focused on myself and kind of just you know, done what was best for me instead of worrying about that. Not not to say that if you're struggling, you shouldn't reach out, but right. I think to an extent, just, you know, doing you per se and just focusing on what's best for you. And, you know, if, you know, even if you got a B, but you feel like you have a really good grip on the knowledge, like that's, you know, in the long run, just as good as getting an A on something. Right. right. Yeah. I, I, I would say that too, for me is that don't stress so much about grades. Mm-hmm. Now, I would have to ask you guys this because you are going the internship route. So you've mm-hmm. been successful in getting that. Um, whereas I am just going to go out and into practice. So grades, I guess in that sense of the word are, were not as important to me, but I think had I stressed less about grades and more about just learning the material and like not doing well on a, on a professor's test because they couldn't mm-hmm. ask a question the right way, mm-hmm. or at least the way that I would understand it, um, I think would have made me a happier student. But I guess I'll ask or flip that around to you is that grades are still really important, especially if you want to go for an internship residency. So I guess my question is how important really are they? I would say that me and Jenny are on two opposite ends of the spectrum. And just because Jenny, and I have no shame saying that, like Jenny, very top class, me more at the bottom just because of how exams are. I don't learn that way. I learn a lot better with hands-on and in clinics. But that being said, I think that grades, and I talked to a um, equine clinician before when I was starting to apply for internships. And, you know, she asked me my GPA and I told her and I'm like, yeah, you know, it's not great. Mm -hmm. You know, could be better. Could have done more. And she goes, well, you know what? You can get an internship with any grades. Like that's not the deciding factor residency. Yeah. It's going to be a little bit harder, but if you're just looking for that extra year of education, that extra years of hand-on experience, don't stress about your grades unless you want to go into a boarded route and Jenny, correct me if I'm wrong. I think that that's when it's a little bit more important, but if you just want to get out there and especially like with equine, you just really want to make a good impression and get an internship. I wouldn't say the grades are so much important, as the relationships you make with clinicians later on in clinics. Yeah, mm-hmm. I agree. And, you know, I hate to say that, you know, grades are super important because if you're going the internship residency route, especially small animal and very highly competitive fields, it unfortunately does matter because, mm-hmm. you know, everyone who's applying is a very, a very, very good applicant. So they have to have some way of distinguishing. Um, so I, I guess they are important in that matter, but... I will say that, like Kelly said, the relationships you build on clinics and with clinicians and, you know, the soft skills of like interpersonal communicating with clients, things like that are still very much important um, because it's vet med's a very small field. And especially if you are wanting to go the specialty route, that's an even smaller field. Right. So who, you know, really matters. Um And, you know, personally for my internship, um, it's super competitive, but, you know, and I'm convinced that everyone that applied was a very good applicant. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that the letters of recommendation I got from certain professors, you know, maybe put me above just because, you know, that the professors at Auburn University knew them and, you know, they're recommending me. So 
so you know all they you know i know this person and they're recommending this person so yeah like i'm gonna take her even though you know this person might have the same exact gpa as me right. it's, it's all about who you know in the right. end so um grades are important but i'll say you know they're not the only thing you know the relationships you build and the connections you make are also extremely mm-hmm. important yeah i think yeah. like it's really about being the well-rounded applicant the person that and this was also something that was told to me because i honestly didn't think that an internship would be in my future i really wanted it um i've had an interest in equine medicine for literally as long as i can remember but it was really about they look for like people who are teachable so Mm -hmm. you want to have the grades you want to be like intelligent and know your stuff but at the same time you want to be around people that are going to teach you because essentially you're being taught like an internship is another year of teaching Mm -hmm. residency is another three years of being taught and perfecting your knowledge Mm -hmm. in an area so it's like you need to be a teachable human being right exactly and they want someone who's personable someone who can talk to clients i mean you can look great on paper but if you can't have a conversation and you know have hard conversations with owners about disease processes Mm -hmm. or something like euthanasia then you know that can that's a big thing you need to consider too so it's not always about what's on paper yeah and i think too that unfortunately and correct me if i'm I'm wrong because i don't know a whole lot about the match process the internship Mm -hmm. application process but Mm -hmm. As far as I know, they don't really do in-person interviews, or at least an interview does not play a direct role in how they choose who they're going to take for an internship. Is that? I would I would agree with that, at least on the small animal side. Um, I was, I applied for, mainly I applied all academic for my internships, and I was contacted by some programs, um, and some of them did a short interview style um process but most of them were just asking questions like do you have any questions about our program what can we answer Mm -hmm. for you um but i will say like auburn who was my number one choice in the match um and who i'm going to next year did not contact me at all so you know it's it's not always like a very cut and dry process where they're going to interview you like you would for maybe a job in general practice or something like that i wish there's a more subjective element to how they choose mm-hmm. interns and residents mm-hmm. because a lot of it unfortunately is on paper like what is your gpa yeah what mm-hmm. did you do what classes did you take what clubs were you in and so on and so forth so in that regard yes grades are important because that's mm-hmm. one of the good a ways that they factor. have they, mm-hmm. to, to evaluate you um but like what you both were saying is that you need to be able to communicate and be a good team player and be well-rounded on mm-hmm. the, the quote-unquote soft skills if you will so yeah, it's one of those tough ones where like you can't beat yourself up over grades, but if you want to go for advanced training, you can't you can't slack off, obviously. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like how Jenny was saying that small animal it is a lot on paper. And I mean I can only talk for me. I only applied to equine internships. A lot of equine internships will not even consider you if you haven't done a two week externship. Hmm. That mm-hmm. is just how it works. Yeah. Because and- it's a lot smaller pool. Yeah, and while I I really wish I would have externed some of the places I was interested in, like Auburn, I didn't have the opportunity to. Um, but I will say that it's not a deciding factor at mm-hmm. all. Like, um, you know, places will still consider you even if you haven't visited or even reached out to them. Like, right. they, they will still consider you for yeah. at least an internship. Yeah, and on equine, just equine, um, they also if you ask for an interview, they will give you one. Hmm. So. Like with Mizzou, I was like, okay, yeah, I want an interview. I want to talk to you guys. I want you guys to recognize that I am 100% interested in this uh, program. So I reached out to some of the clinicians on. I'm like, I I don't know if 
like, this is possible if you guys are too busy, but I would love to schedule an interview. So I went in, met with them, and I honestly think that I answered a lot of questions that they had that they didn't think they had hmm. while I was there. So, I, I mean, it could be just a discrepancy between the two areas of practice, mm-hmm. but I know that equine is really focused on are you teachable? Are you actually interested in equine? Because a lot of like zoo animal or like exotics get into equine internships because they need another internship. Right. And they want people that are interested in horses. They want people mm-hmm. that show a knowledge. So it's just like right. I think it just changes yeah. from species to just, species. Yeah. Right. Let's talk about externships too. Um that was another piece of of advice I got online or on social media was that some people wish that they had taken more externships at the end of their clinical curriculum than at mm. before or rather than in the beginning because it helped them more once they had more knowledge uh, that they gained at the hospital, at their teaching hospital, wherever mm-hmm. it was to apply that like in a real world setting. I would agree with that. Um I unfortunately had some off time early on to where I got did some preceptorships. And um, I think a majority of the vets at private practices are very willing to let you jump in and willing to teach you. And um, I know as a third year, I hadn't had a lot of surgery experience. So, um, you know, at a private practice I externed at, they asked, hey, would you want to jump in on this neuter? Would you want to do it? Would you want to, you know, jump on this spay? And, you know, you sit there and you want to say, yes, I want to do it. But then you're also like, well, I really don't have a lot of surgery experience. I've been on clinics for two months. So, yeah, no, I, you know, I'm not really comfortable yet, but... You know, that sort of thing. Um, right. So, uh, yeah, I think that, you know, doing externships later is um, it is good because, you know, again, you can go to these clinics, especially if you're looking for a job there and show them what you know, show them what you can bring to the practice, jump in on things, be maybe a little bit more proficient right. um, and and whatnot. Um, so that's definitely something that I would have done differently. But you're absolutely right that a lot of times, if not most of the time, it's out of your control. Mm-hmm. You only have off time when you have off time. Exactly. And if that's going to be in your first block of clinics, well... It's in your first block. Mm-hmm. Bummer. Right. Yeah. Not to say you can't make a good impression by helping out and jumping in, but yeah, I, I think it would be better if I would have some off time a little bit later yeah. to go to places and talk to places and whatnot. Yeah, yeah, I had the unique situation where I was off for like 12 weeks just because how my thirds and my off block fell Mm -hmm. so i did a lot of externships at that time and then i actually did an externship essentially a year later so i did all my externships had a year of clinics and then did another externship Mm -hmm. and i have to say it was quite the confidence boost to go in after having a year of clinics Mm -hmm. and being able to answer questions going oh i actually know this stuff like i know more than I think. I can answer questions more than I think I can. I can sit there and ask intelligent questions and sound like I know something. And yeah, so I think that if you could, and I don't know how other schools do it. I know Mizzou gets a lot of time off with how our schedule Mm -hmm. works out. But if you can do it, I think it would just really show that at the beginning, this is how much I know. And then look how much I've learned. Right. So. Mm -hmm. All right. I'll go with another one. Yeah. I wish I had, after an exam, gone and requested to review my exam with professors afterwards. I don't. So I know this is going to be different with most of every school in the country, but at least in Mizzou, we take most of our exams on the computer. We don't get copies of those exams afterwards. Mm-hmm. We don't get feedback usually to keep 
mm-hmm. after. So we don't know what we answer. We can't see the answers again. We can't see the questions again. Um, we can usually see the exam and what, how we answered right after, but that's where it ends. Mm-hmm. For me, reviewing old exams is a really good way to study. Mm-hmm. And I feel like if I had taken the opportunity to go and look at my exam a second or third time or a month or two after I'd taken the exam and reviewed what I had missed, it would have helped me on final exams or just to keep things in my head um, later down the road. I agree with that. I think that I've learned more when clinicians sit there and tell me, no, you're wrong, go look it up. Mm-hmm. Than with anything that sticks in my brain more than more than you would think. And I it's all about being self-sufficient and going to see why you were wrong. So I agree that if I and I never thought about that, that's a really good idea. If I would have a month later sat down and been like, oh, why did I think that was the answer? Right. Like looking up the actual answer, going back through my notes and be like, oh, duh, like this is why it's that those questions would have stuck with me a lot better. Yeah, I'd say the same thing. Um, for me, it'd be more dependent on the test and the subject. So if it was something like route memorization that I just forgot, like, oh, the mechanism of action of that drug was this instead of this, um, you know, I think it'd be helpful to like know that I got it wrong and what the right answer was. But especially for physiology based things where there is like mm-hmm. quite the thought process behind it, I think going back and reviewing old questions would be extremely helpful mm-hmm. um, just to understand, especially like I said, those very, you know, physiology sort of more complicated type questions uh, to go back and review and know why you got it wrong. Mm-hmm. And then also, you know, if you sat down with your professor and reviewed it and, you know, the expert in the subject, they could tell you, okay, yeah, like this is why it's wrong. And mm-hmm. people commonly think this, but it's actually this way. And I do think that it would stick a lot better if, if, you know, we had to utilize that or if we could yeah. utilize it. Mm-hmm. And I think too, that and like what you said, Kelly, when someone tells you you're wrong and that helps you figure out what the right answer is or what the right way to do something is, you learn a million times oh, yeah. better that mm-hmm. way. Oh, so I- <laughs> if you could just swallow your pride, and I'm talking about didactics here, especially right. if you went go and talk to the professor, and they say, "No, you were wrong on this question. Mm-hmm. Tell me why you were wrong," and then you guys got to you get it through into a conversation and, and figure out what the right answer is. Yeah, and it I, works. I completely agree with that because for some reason, when I was because I should have done that, I 100 should have done that. I went and talked to our microanatomy professor a couple times. I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, I don't know what you're doing either. But um, <laughs> I don't know where you're he thinking of this. No, that. I know. He was a lot nicer. But I think that there's, for some reason, I had this fear, and maybe other people out there too. It's like you're getting into didactics. It's like your first couple years of school, and you're like, I don't want to screw this up. Like, I'm a little embarrassed that I got this wrong. Yeah, I understand that. And, um, it's like, oh, I don't want to go talk to them. But then once you're in clinics, you're like, please tell me why I'm wrong. Explain yeah. all mm-hmm. of this to me. I only have a year left until I'm out in the real world. Please tell me what I can fix. And so I think that if you went back and just had that mentality the entire time going into it in the first place, yeah, there's it would make absolutely a huge no shame in contacting your professors and asking for a review or asking why you got a certain question wrong. Could they please explain it? And I would say that every professor out there, no professor is going to say, nope, I don't have time for that. I don't want to talk to right. you. Like they're, they're all there because they want you to learn and they'll be more than willing to sit down with you. Exactly. I think that the professors really appreciate it. If they mm-hmm. sit there and they go, okay, this person has done bad, bad, bad. And now on the very last one, they're like, Hey, can you help me out? No, they don't want to help you out as much. But if you go bad, okay, I'm going to talk to them. I'm going to talk to them and talk to them. And if you just get even a little bit better, I think that makes a huge impact, right. especially with 
clinicians that are just like, okay, like we're here to help you use us. Like they want to Mm -hmm. be there to help. Like otherwise they wouldn't be teaching. They would be out in practice. Right. I think my problem was that I, I either thought I didn't have the time or was too embarrassed to go talk to them or I didn't like the professor or whatever it was, but like, just get over it and just do it. Yeah. Um, it's going to help you with the class. It's going to help you with clinics and hopefully it'll help you way beyond that too. Cause I mean, like, I mean, I think generally most vet students don't remember a whole lot from didactics. Cause at least in my opinion, it's not super clinically relevant Agreed. information. Um, it tries to be, there's a lot of foundation there. Yeah. But, but in a case, it's much better learning a case-based yeah, if you go to a school approaching that is, things like that. Yeah. If you go to a school that does case-based learning or problem-based learning, whatever it's going to be, uh, Obviously, we didn't go to school that did a whole bunch of that. Not until I, the very last. Idea. Right, I would imagine that that that's kind of like the future of the way we teach because it. I think it's much I would more agree. effective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, but my point being is that you can you can learn so much better having that style of conversation and, and talking to professors and talking it through um, to try to get more of a uh, a clinical view on things because that's that's how it's going to stick. Yeah. Hundred percent. What else? I know for me, one thing I wish I would have done going back, and um, I'll use a very specific example, but enforcing work-life balance a little bit, especially in didactics, mm. it's very hard or it's very easy to, you know, waste. I don't say waste, but use your entire weekend studying. I know there are weekends where I would spend twelve hours a day studying because right. catching up from the week and I have exams, and you know, especially the way our school is formatted with the eight weeks of class and very fast-paced. Um, but there were certain things I sacrificed to study, um, you know, not just, um, you know, like going out with friends and working out, but also one very specific thing was my sleep schedule. Um, (laughs) yes. In didactics, I had the strangest sleep schedule and I suppose it worked for me back then. I would come home after class and snap for like Five hours? I guess. Mm. I don't know if you'd call that I tried this once and I died. (laughs) I tried Jenny's sleep schedule once and I literally wanted to die. Yeah. So I would nap for like five hours, wake up at like nine o'clock, study till like four or five a.m. and then Mm. sleep for like one or two hours. So I split up my sleeping quite a bit. Um, And I guess it worked for me back then, but transitioning on to clinics was really hard. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, getting back to the flow of things and especially since I did the majority of my studying late at night and I only had like a short period of sleep between that and the exam, you know, I, I don't know if I took a different approach, <laughs> you know, more would stick or whatnot. Um, but that was just one of the things that I think of like something I sacrificed was a normal sleep schedule just so I could, you know, make grades and, right. um, you know, try to learn all the material and try to grasp all the material. Um, and yeah. looking back, I wish I would have done things a little differently, had a normal sleeping schedule, done more things for myself, whether it be hanging out with friends, going to the gym, et cetera, et cetera. Um, just because I know when we get out in the workforce, it's going to be really easy to throw ourselves into our job completely. Right. And, um, you know, especially when we're first out there, just trying to learn the ropes and put everything into vet med. But, um, you know, the only person who's going to be an advocate for you is you. So right. make sure that you have a good work-life balance, do things for you. It's okay to take time off. It's okay to say, I'm gonna take the Saturday and just do nothing. That is totally okay. And mm-hmm. you should not feel guilty about right. that. I like people that take, I tried to do it. It was not successful, but it was a good idea at the time to take like one day a week or even one night a week to not do any school. Yeah. Just like relax. Yeah. I wish out, I would have done that. Whatever. Um, take a break. Cause like, that's really important. I will second you on the sleep thing because, People that 
and I did it a few times, that would stay up till three in the morning, whatever it was, to take more time to study, say the night before an exam, which is really yeah, I stupid. I was never that person. Um, because you thought it would help you. And then you have to wake up at seven or eight the next morning to take an eight o'clock or nine o'clock exam, mm-hmm. whatever it was. You perform so much worse without <laughs> sleep mm-hmm. than if you had gone to bed at nine or ten o'clock that night, cut your losses on the studying. You would have, you would do so much better if <laughs> by substituting an extra five hours of sleep for the five hours of studying. Yeah, it's like please sleep. I know it seems like a good idea please at the time. Sleep. Please. Don't do all nighters. Don't even do like a two or three a.m bedtime thing for just for studying don't wake up at 3 a.m and study until the exam at 8 don't do it just just go to bed yeah, yeah i think that if you don't know it you're not gonna know it at that point i don't mean that like you can't cram in a couple things at the like final hour but at the same time i think you're just gonna stress yourself right. out even more and you it, don't know it for the exam but like you'll know it eventually i know that that at the time is is neither here nor there because you need to know it for the exam but if it's the night before exam, you don't know it by nine or ten o'clock at night. Mm-hmm. Forget it. Don't worry about it. Because if you if you take the time to study next extra few hours to learn it, you're going to lose the sleep and you're going to do poorly on everything else. So yeah, um, I know it sucks, but <laughs> yeah. And even if you make it through the test, uh, you're going to be worthless the rest of the day, right. and you're going to fall asleep in class, like I might have done a couple times, and or just not not <laughs> right, and uh, you know not learn the material well enough in lecture and then have to go back and you know kind of dig yourself in a little hole so yeah. please sleep yeah and then also because i think that's a good segue about going to class oh, uh people i've heard would do would go to more class mm-hmm. that's one of the things that i heard on social media was that they would just attend class more uh and i know that this could be a little a bit of a, a contended subject because People learn differently, mm-hmm. and with mm-hmm. everyone, I think most everyone's class is now being recorded, at least mm-hmm. video and or audio. If you didn't want to go to class, you didn't really have to. You could rewatch the class or whatever it was. Now, of course, you've got the professors that really love to take attendance and dock you yeah. for not being there, which I think is kind of dumb, but um, that's not my opinion uh, <laughs> to be valued. But uh, so, I, what's your take on that? Like, would you have? I know you both were very studious oh, students. Oh, okay. But I think Jenny was studious. Um, you were studious <laughs> too. I say go to class smarter. I know that sounds really dumb, but like I would, I went to almost every class, I would say. I would yeah. say I would, went to 80%. So that's almost every. And But like the ones that I didn't pay attention all the time because right. to sit there and lecture for six hours straight – I can't, I can't learn that way. Right. So I wish that I would have gone to the classes that I was actually like, I wanted to go to, then go home for the classes that I know I needed a break during and then smartly listen to integrity, not just go there and be like, Oh, or like the recording, not just go there and be like, Oh, I'm going to listen. Not really. I'm going to play on my phone because I can't pay attention because this is two o'clock in the afternoon and we've been in class since eight and we have 10 minute breaks and we only had one hour lunch and I'm losing my mind. Right. Because I'm in an auditorium with no windows. So (laughs) (laughs) that's how I would be. Sore subject. And I would, I would get really stressed out about it. And then, but I felt like I didn't need to listen to the integrities again because I was technically at class. So I think for me, it would be like 
yeah, go to class, but go to class smart. Like know that I'm not going to listen to this. Why? So why am I going to this? If I'm going to sit there and listen, be like, I have an hour. I can be here for one hour and I can focus and really pay attention. The next hour, I'm going to go to the library and study there because like some classes don't take attendance. They think they do integrity for the people that aren't going to come to class because everybody learns differently. So yeah, I think going to class more often is definitely something that could help you with school, but going to class smarter also, if that makes sense. That's a great point because like work smarter, not harder is a thing that I try to live by. Like there's no point in being inefficient when you know that there's a better way to do things. Exactly. So like you hit a, a big point there for me is that there's no point in you sitting in a lecture hall if you're going to be on Facebook the whole time yep. or on the phone. Mm-hmm. My life. And, and think that just by being in that room, it's beneficial. Mm-hmm. And like maybe you're taking in yeah. what they're saying like subconsciously. Like, nah, I don't think yeah. so. I think knowing what I know now and, and after you said that, I think it would have been better, at least for me, and I don't know, maybe for you guys too, to if you knew that there was going to be a class where you just weren't going to make it, the professor is not a good lecturer, which it happens. A lot of these people don't like to lecture. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can go back and, and listen to the recording later. It would have been better use of my time to go to the gym for 45 exactly. minutes. Exactly. Re-energize mm-hmm. myself, get that kick of adrenaline, and then go back to school or go back to the library or go back to class, wherever it was, and and keep on studying. Yeah, that's yeah. how I wish I, if I had to go back, that's what I would do differently. Like, please don't make me go back. But if I had to, <laughs> that's, I would yeah. sit there, the classes that I wasn't going to pay attention to, Go work out. That would have been great. I wouldn't have done that. I would have napped. But um, go do that. Do something that you think is more valuable with your time. And then be like, okay, from here to here, I'm going to listen to this. And half the time you can speed up the lectures. Right. And like it cuts the time in half and you still learn a lot. But I don't know. That's just my take yeah, on it. Yeah, I would say that, and again, it's all what your preference is and what you like personally. Um I am pretty, I feel like I'm inherently lazy. So if I would, wouldn't go to class and like I would use that time more wisely, it would be me just like laying around watching YouTube videos. Mm-hmm. So I tried to make it to class, you know, as much as I could. And I use Tegrity more as a supplemental thing. So if I missed something or I didn't understand something, I could go back and watch it. Um, but if you are that person that prioritizes the time better and, you know, can if you, you know, aren't going to be in class, can use it to study or do something differently than like be my guest. Not that I'm like, not that I'm advocating skipping class for anyone who's listening, but, um, you know, if you learn better that way, then, then do that because, you know, we're all here to learn the material and, and learn it to become good veterinarians. So if that's how it's best for you, then do what is best for Mm -hmm. you. Because I'll play devil's advocate on, on all of us right now too, but, and then I'll, play devil's, devil's advocate on myself for playing devil's advocate. Um, huh. Yeah. It's like, so incep- many it's like inception. Um, <laughs> so people like deans will say, if you don't go to class, that's disrespectful to your professors. And I would say maybe. I mean, yeah, yes, inherently. But here's my take on it. Is that if the, p- the professor, the lecturer, whoever it is, is an ineffective teacher by them staying, standing at the lectern, whatever, mm-hmm and lecturing and not engaging people, it is not worth my time to waste an hour or whatever it is to be there and not learn effectively for me. Yeah. So, and I think that that is all, and I'm going to get on a soapbox here, and this is totally not, totally off topic, but the way that that I think vet schools and academia in general has been 
operating the past 50 years or whatever is that professors go up in front of a class and they talk. And now I think we're starting to see more schools go away from that and do more small group learning or mm-hmm. problem-based learning, whatever it's going to be. So I think there needs to be a change in the way that we're taught because having some person stand in front of a room of 100 people and talk for an hour and not engage mm-hmm. and be monotone, which again, is not everybody, but sometimes that is, there needs to be a change in that because I think there's better ways to, to teach. I yeah, agree. I think problem-based learning and small group learning, like you said, would be, you know, at least trying to implement some of that in the curriculum would be a little more effective just because I know for me the shift from didactic thinking to clinical thinking, you know, actually seeing cases was so different. Is so different. And, you know, if I had just a little bit more of case-based or like you said, small group, whatever it may be, I, I think it would have benefited me a lot more on clinics and maybe I would have, I don't know, got the hang of things better yeah. or, you know, thought about things differently in a way that it would have stuck. Yeah, I um, agree. Yeah. And I'm not saying there isn't value and, you know, someone who's an expert in their field going up and speaking and giving a formal lecture. But I think implementing things like, like you said, case-based small group would be really beneficial mm-hmm. for students. Okay, great. So, we're at a good stopping point right now. Let's take a quick break. I want to get a word in from this episode's sponsor. So hang tight. I got a lot more to talk about. So stay tuned. This episode of Vet School Unleashed is brought to you by AVMA PLIT. So if you've listened to episode 27 of this podcast, you know the importance of organized veterinary medicine and PLIT is a huge part of the AVMA family and they protect veterinarians throughout their careers, starting in veterinary school. In addition to their student malpractice coverage, the PLIT supports students and schools through scholarships, including All for Students, VBMA, VLE, SAVMA, and more. So watch your inbox throughout the school year for email announcements from your PLIT student rep, and visit avma.com unleashed to see when PLIT's trust veterinarians are visiting your school. So please visit avmaplit.com slash unleashed. Sign up for your complimentary coverage while you're in vet school if you haven't done so already and learn more about what they have to offer. All right, welcome back. Uh, we left off talking about didactics. I want to talk a little bit more about didactics before we get into the clinical years, which is, I think, the more fun years of vet school, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Preach. Um, but before we move on, so what else in didactics would you change if you had to go back? For me personally, as someone that didn't have a lot of experience, I mean, I had experience, but not like a lot of, a lot of people tech in undergrad or from their high school years and everything like that. I didn't have a lot of those experiences. I really wish we would have been more focused on clinical skills things and maybe moving them more closer to clinics. Like we get ours IP three and four, I think, for small right. animal and large mm-hmm. animal. Why Which not? is the spring semester. Yeah. Yep. Our first year, sorry. Um, I don't know why that couldn't be in the later parts of our second year where it's we're almost going to clinics. Let's practice putting those catheters in. Let's practice right. doing physicals when it's important. Not when it's two years out and we're if we aren't constantly doing that stuff, we're going to forget that muscle memory of it. Right. Yeah, I'll say that um, one specific experience I did in my first second year of vet school was um, what we called after hours clinic crew. So it was um, 
vet students and undergrad students who could um, work in the small amount ICU at our clinic. Um, and granted, you worked kind of the less glorious hours. So you'd probably work like 8 p.m. to midnight or midnight to 8 a.m., something like that. Um, but for me, it was a way to get over into the hospital um, when, you know, we didn't. The hospital was this place, this glorious place where, right. you know, we didn't know what happened. And all of the older all of the older students were there. And, oh, my God, they're so amazing. They know so much. And I'm just this lowly little first year. Um, but I got to go over there and um, basically help assist the technicians with patients in the ICU if they needed medications, if uh, you know they need to be walked outside, um, helping clean, helping stock things. And I know it's maybe not you know the most glorious of jobs, but for me, it got me over in the hospital. It got me touching animals and you know doing physical exams, you know, to some right. extent, giving medications, mm-hmm. got me familiar with the, um, ICU, which, you know, when we're, you're in clinics, you, a lot of your rotations are, uh, at least in Mizzou upstairs, um, in the small animal mm-hmm. and you're going to have patients in the ICU and it can right. be a scary place cause you don't know where anything is and you don't know how to work the equipment. And for me, it was a way to get over there and learn all that kind of stuff. So when I was in clinics, I felt a little more comfortable when I had a patient sure. there or things like that. And that was, you know, something that I would never replace. I absolutely loved doing the after hours um, and getting over there. And I, you know, I wish they had more opportunities like that for vet students, because I think if we got over in the hospital and it wasn't this, you know, scary place where, you know, everyone was and all the big wig clinicians were, I think it'd be a better transition for us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. And I know like equine does that too. At least at Mizzou, there's an equine ICU that Seth was actually one of the people in charge of at that time. Oh my gosh, he's a hero. Many, many moons ago. (laughs) (laughs) And like, I mean, I wish I would have taken, I was a part of it, but I wish I would have taken more advantage of it. I did a couple um, shifts and I was on call for it and stuff like that. But I wish I like those times where I chose not to do a shift because there was an exam the next morning. I wish I would have switched that up. I wish I would have taken the shift because you're sitting there anyway. You could just study at that time mm-hmm. if you wanted to. And also it's like you're in the area that you want to do. We don't right. go into vet school to read a book. We go into right. vet school to take care of animals, mm-hmm. to be in that situation. And it's like I think I would have been 20 times happier being in the equine clinic smelling sawdust right. than in my bedroom. Right. So, I think we'll go out on a limb and I don't know if this is – Super practical because I, I think it's easier to say now rather than when we were in the trenches of mm-hmm. didactics. But to take more time to be out in clinical practice, like shadowing mm-hmm. the vet that you shadowed before vet school or reaching out to a clinic in, in the city or town that you or uh, where you're in vet mm-hmm. school um, and and learn like in the real world. Because I just thinking like while we were taking radiology, how cool would it have been? to just be shadowing a vet and looking at radiographs mm-hmm. with yeah. them and learning from from their experiences and them teaching you how they interpret a radiograph. I think it would have made such a difference, you know, with radiology and, and clinpath and even pathology and things like that. Um, I think some of like the first year basic sciences that may have been a little more mm-hmm. difficult, but um, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I think I wish I had made more time or realized that there was time even <laughs> a night a week or a, a one a few hours on a weekend go mm-hmm. hang out in a clinic or just get outside of the classroom yeah i mean you could even i mean just going off of that it's like i'm not saying you have to take your entire break like everybody gets a christmas break everybody gets a summer break and i'm at mizzou ours is shorter it's only eight weeks but i'm not saying take the whole eight weeks and go to a clinic but take like 
a week put that aside and go to a clinic i think that would make a huge difference it would yep. revitalize definitely. you definitely it's easy to when you're in didactics like you said the trenches of didactics it's easy to lose, lose sight track, of yeah. you know why you want to do this especially mm-hmm. when you're just memorizing facts or so it seems yeah and it's like you need to be yes. immersed in it it's going like, going somewhere seem in clinical practice and applying what you're learning, I think is a, just going to like make you learn mm-hmm. a lot more and help things stick and be revitalize your passion and, you know, maybe give you some extra motivation yeah. for yeah. however, for vertical class or however much of didactics that you have remaining. I mean, we or, all talk about burnout in didactics. I think it's very real. I had major burnout. And I think that if I would have gone to a couple clinics more, like, I think that's a great idea. I don't know why I didn't think of that when I was in clinics or in didactics. If I just went to a clinic, like every couple of weeks or something, just be like, oh, okay, this is why I'm here. Right. This is what I want to do. Like, I think it makes a huge difference. I think it really Mm -hmm. helps lift your spirits. And you're like, oh, this is what the goal is. Yeah, and I'd say I almost, that a million times. Oh yeah, I, th- I think almost any vet at any clinic would be more than happy to you know have you there, and you know you have another set of hands to help. Mm-hmm. You just want to learn, you know what right. I mean? So yeah. I think that you know don't be afraid to go out there and ask because I think any vet would be more than willing to take on you know a shadow or a preceptor, right. even in your didactic years. Cool. Let me ask you guys a question, and I'll ask a, the real question after you guys tell me this. No oh, god. Give me your least favorite class in didactics. Like what is the one class that if they said you had to take it again, you'd be like, no way I'm out, man. Large animal anatomy. Oh my God. It's just, I, I, it's important. It's so important, but man, it was brutal. Yeah. Uh, every aspect of it, you know, learning, not just learning every muscle, nerve, artery, vein, but like the formalin smell. And right. I think we would spend at least three hours a day, every day dissecting and trying to learn. And oh my gosh, I, like I said, it's important and mad respect for all of our anatomists and they do a great job, job teaching, but oh my yeah. goodness, I don't know if I could do that again. <laughs> yeah. For me, I know this is a, for the internal medicine person over there. I tread lightly. Companion animal animal medicine and small animal medicine were the two most stress. They're basically the same class, two most stressful classes I've ever taken, not because of the material, but because of the grading scale, Mm. you had zero room for error. And that is so much pressure. And I like so much material, great class, obviously very important to our curriculum, but you could not pay me to take that again because I was literally living in fear the entire 16 weeks of those yeah. two classes. All right, so let me ask you the real question or the reason that I asked you that first question. Looking back on those, dare I say it, less than fun classes, no. what would you have done to make it easier to get through? Is not taking it an acceptable answer? Unfortunately, no. You have <laughs> I'm totally to kidding. It. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Um, you know, I think for me, for large animal anatomy, um, it was really hard being in there because what we had for 16 weeks, right? Yeah. Um, three hours a day, every single day. Um, and it was every single person in our class in the anatomy lab. And, you know, half the time when we had a two people around, I hope you're not claustrophobic. Exactly. You know, a professor trying to show you an important structure and you're in the third row back of people trying to look at people's shoulders. Um, I wish it would have been more 
smaller smaller groups i guess mm-hmm. um and maybe break up time a little bit differently like had i you know maybe a couple days a week where it's only an hour an hour and a half i think that yeah. would have been better than three hours because i know for me personally i feel like at the time it was like two hour time mark i was gone oh, i was not paying attention i was asking people how much money it would take for them to eat this like dead piece of meat it's true because <laughs> i do that because <laughs> that's I how i stayed it. sane <laughs> i think for me um I don't even know what I would do differently. It's just that it's not that the class was terrible. It's not that the lecturers were bad. They were some of the most interesting lecturers. I think it would just been to sit there and really learn what's important. I, I felt like I was trying to learn everything that they were saying rather than the important items, like the bullet points. I think it's easy to get bogged down. Like these clinicians, half the time clinicians that are working in academia are top of their field they the lectures that they are lecturing on is what they have spent their entire lives researching so they know (laughs) they can spot a zebra in a second exactly (laughs) they know the ins and the outs so i think that if i would have sat there and been like okay now is this really important grand scheme of things probably but is this something that i can look up in a book later or is this something that i can i need to take with me to every day in life right and um i think my thing is i got so bogged down by all the little details that i wasn't thinking about the big picture with each of the classes good i like that what about you seth what was your least favorite uh, class? yes seth uh, do tell us question uh i think i'm gonna go with anatomy as a whole <laughs> i i enjoyed anatomy because i liked learning about the body mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm. cutting stuff up and yeah let's be honest you just like cutting things up yeah i mean whoa yeah that that turned dark oh well okay <laughs> sorry i listen to a lot of podcast people no but i i didn't enjoy like being in the lab and and learning about the anatomy but when it came time to study and take exams mm-hmm. it was just it was my nightmare mm-hmm. because i i'm not a good test taker in general i just anxiety and like my brain turns off and i did not do well in the exams um i wish i'd figured out a a better way to internalize all that information i think the the thing for me is that and this may sound like pretentious or or something but i feel like the anatomy material is not that hard it's memorization yeah it's the amount it's the amount when you You have have five pages of structures i mean yeah right so I wish I'd figured out a more effective way to study mm-hmm. and to learn and to really memorize that information because I think, and I think the problem was that there was just so much to handle and you had what, like we had, I think a test every two weeks or whatever it mm-hmm. was that to learn all the material in two weeks, you could do it. And then you'd have to like brain dump all that mm-hmm. to learn the next two weeks. And then it came time for the final words or everything. And then you were just screwed because I didn't remember anything. So nothing was really... Yeah. Um, and nothing really stuck. So I don't really have the best answer on how I would change it, but I know that I would change the way I studied. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the big thing. It's like you can't change these classes. I mean, you have to know it overall. I think it's just about how you go into it, the mindset that you take into the class. Yeah. But very like namaste of you. Oh, well, you know, Hindsight I meditate is every day. Kelly. <laughs> Hindsight is 2020-2020-2020, so. That was excessive. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let me ask a, uh, 
another question. This one kind of goes to a bit of a maybe a sadder side of the conversation. Uh-oh. But it's kind of hypothetical, but probably not in, in some people's cases. And here's the feedback that I got again from from when I posted this on social media. Is and I think people were halfway joking, but halfway not when they replied, "How what would you do differently about vet school? Not go. Not go." I think that's a very real answer. And if that's your answer, I respect that. And I think, and this is going to put get on a soapbox again, but this is kind of like a lesson that I wish people would take to heart, at least in the first couple years of vet school, is that getting into vet school is great. And wanting to be a veterinarian is great. But if you get into vet school and a week down the line, six months down the line, a year down the line, you know in your heart that this is not for you, mm-hmm. it's okay. Oh, get 100% out now. agree. Do not spend an additional three, four years, whatever it's going to be, of training to then not love what you do. Because if you don't love being a veterinarian when you're out, your life's going to be miserable. I think that's why we see so many problems with mental health in our profession, so many people that stop practicing, mm-hmm. um, people that just get burnt out so quickly. And I'm not saying that and a burnout is a whole other conversation because I think burnout is a natural thing that's probably going to happen to most of us. Mm-hmm. Um, but point being is that if you're one of those people that get into vet school and you really believe that this is not for you or you don't see a future in this profession, it is totally fine to just say, you know, this isn't for me and to get out because I think if you stay in and you're not happy, you're just going to get yourself into more. Oh, completely. I mean, I know of a couple people in our class, I think uh, first year in our first semester that, um, you know, left because they were like, you know what? I just don't think it's for me anymore. And I don't think any less of them. I mean, I have a lot of respect for them. They said, I'm not going to be happy doing this. So I'm going to go find something else to do or, you know, do to explore something else that I like or I have passion mm-hmm. for. And that's totally cool. I mean, no, I, I really don't think that anyone's going to judge you no matter how far down the line you are. No one's going to judge you for saying, you know, I just isn't what I want to do. And I've realized that. And I want to go, you know, make a difference in the world elsewhere. Right. I, I really don't think that anyone is going to think any less of you. And I think too, no. like, and sorry to cut you off. I was going to say that like, it doesn't even mean that you're going to like leave leave the animal side of the world mm-hmm. oh, or yeah. leave academia because like i think what a lot of these people realize and this is just from my very limited amount of time in this area or in this profession is that people that that stop going to vet school or drop out of vet school is not because they're like well i don't like animals anymore i don't like science mm-hmm. like, that's oh, not no. what it is it's like i want to be a researcher i'd rather go get my phd in mm-hmm. x y and z or Go I only really, into public health or something right, like or that. Or I really liked the food animal production side of this. I don't need to be a veterinarian. I just now realize this. I'm going to go get my master's or whatever in some agricultural science mm-hmm. and then go be this big shot producer. Uh, I want to be an anatomist. You don't need to be a veterinarian mm-hmm. to be an anatomist. Well, I think like what happens with a lot of people, I mean, and this is just me personally. I wanted to be a vet since I was super young mm-hmm. and... Luckily, as far as life is taking me, it's working out and it's going to work out. But, you know, there were times where I had doubts. I think it's natural to have doubts, like to sit there and be like, oh, is this what I want to do? If you only went into things headstrong every time, like you need to have contingencies. You need to sit there and like really challenge yourself because unless you challenge yourself about, is this what I want to do? Then how do you know that you want to do it? Unless you sit there and go like, because I know I really love journalism i love writing and all that stuff and i go 
oh, I could have done that. But would I give up being a vet to do that? I don't think so. Not anymore because I'm like, oh, it's so close. I love this. I like everything I'm doing. But I think that some people have all of that weight from other people in their lives. Like, well, you know, you said you're going to be a vet since you were five years old. Right. Now you're not going to be a vet. It's like, don't, it's not about them. This is your life ultimately. And if you think that you don't want to go to vet school a week, a month, a year into it, then don't go. Ultimately, right. it's not these other people that are going to be a vet. You're going to be the vet. So if you don't want to do it, then don't do it. Right. But if you want to, then go gung ho and yeah. like try as hard as you can. But it's just thinking about what's best for you and not what other people want for you. And it, yeah, and piggybacking off what you said and what Seth said, it's totally okay to be selfish in that in that aspect. Mm-hmm. If you don't want to do it, don't do it. Yeah. Um, and like Seth said, doesn't mean you have to, you know, step away from the animal side of things. You can go into veterinary biomedical research. You mm-hmm. can, you know, go into, you know, reproductive physiology, work public health, work with animals mm-hmm. there. And, you know, those people are just as important as veterinarians in, you know, contributing to research and science and food safety. Those people, you know, have very important jobs and are just as important as us. So yeah, exactly. there's there's no shame. And there's, you know, just because you're a veterinarian doesn't make you less. Right. You know, everyone who works with the animals, I have things. It's the job, the work they do is important and the jobs they do are very good. And vet school is too expensive to like go through it. Oh my God. Pay the money. Oh my God. And, and then, then not be happy. And, and know that you didn't want to do it. Like, I, well, I'm here now. I'm just going to get the degree. Yeah. Don't, don't do that. Yeah. Don't go into don't six figures it. worth of debt to then decide you want to go back to school for something else and then get into even yeah. more debt. So, um, don't have shame. Just yeah. listen to yourself and, and, and go with your gut. hundred mm-hmm. exactly. percent. Okay, so uh, we're getting close on time, but let's let's pivot to clinical years or year. Anything you would have changed? Huh. I think I would have changed how I utilized my time off and the electives I took. Except, no, I love the electives I took, actually. Like, I think about it, I took... As somebody that would love to go into an equine-centric mixed animal program, like uh, clinic, I took equine-centric electives and then took a couple small animal electives that I thought would be prudent. Like mm-hmm. I could have easily taken uh, two equine surgeries, two equine medicines, and then equine techniques and only did horse electives. Mm-hmm. I easily could have done that, but I sat back and like, no, I am not good at internal. I will take internal twice. And I genuinely enjoyed my second time on internal and um you're welcome jenny and (laughs) then i also sat back and like you'll see a lot of oncology like cancers everywhere so i took it twice it is genuinely enjoyed each time i was on it so no i don't know there's really not like the only thing i would say is like go places that you want to go don't go to places because you think you should go to them um like for your externships like, if you want to do equine, only go to equine places. If you want to do mixed, only go to mixed places. If you want to live in certain areas, go to those certain areas to see if you enjoy that area. Because I think a lot of people can be like, oh, I would like to live in Washington. Well, I didn't do any externships in Washington, but I got a job out there. Oh, wait, I don't like the rain. There you go. Like, it's just, <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Grey's Anatomy. I don't know. Like, just think about it. Like, go and choose the electives and the externships that would be great for you and utilize your entire time on clinics. Amen. Very good. I would say 
one thing I would do differently is um, with my off time, I would take a break. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I'm not here to say that externships and pre-externships are important because they very much are. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so is elective time. And I've really enjoyed my clinical time. But, um, you know, I haven't gone on a vacation in five years. Mm. And so I kind of wish I would have used some of my time off um, as some sort of vacation or staycation at home, just relaxing and doing nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, and... I think it's totally okay to take a vacation or have some me time. It just because you have time off doesn't mean that every second has to be filled with vet med uh, and externships and preceptorships or, you know, whatever. Uh, but I, I really wish I would have taken a little vacation. No, um, I agree with that. So that that's the only thing I would I would do differently. I really loved my um, externships and whatnot. Um, I will say that one of, I'm, I guess I'm doing a little plug here, but one of my favorite experiences I've had in clinics is um, kind of helping, working for the emergency department on weekends, um, helping like triage and help clinical students on clinics, um, even though when I'm not on the emergency rotation, um, I just, I get to... I work and I get paid, but essentially just volunteer helping do odd jobs and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And I really enjoyed it. I think I've learned a lot. It's low pressure learning, um, kind of seeing extra things, but you know, not getting grilled by the clinicians mm-hmm. and whatnot. Um, and you know, getting more case exposure, talking to clients, all that kind of stuff. And it's just, um, a job I do on weekends. And I'm really glad I took advantage of that when I was in clinics, because I think it's helped me learn immensely, not just about you know, cases in medicine, but also talking to clients and, you know, teaching and other things like that. Yeah. I have That's another good. one. I just, I've been on food animal for the last couple of weeks. And I think that one of the clinicians said to me, that what clinics actually is, is teaching you to be self-sufficient. And I think that if I would have gone into that with the mindset immediately, I think it would have made uh, clinics a whole different experience, such as like, they expect you to know the basics. They expect you to know that, I mean, A equals B equals C equals D. But what they want you to do is that when there comes in a cat with hyperthyroid, they want you to know what hyperthyroid is, all this stuff, but then look at stuff beyond that and be able to come with intelligent questions. And I know that maybe that seems so duh in your face, but it's hard to think about that because you go home, you've just worked a 12-hour day, 10-hour, 12-hour day sometimes, and you're exhausted, you just want to sleep. You're researching cases, you research the bare minimum just so that you can get the questions right in uh, rounds. But... To go that little bit extra and be like, okay, here, I did all the basic research in the book. Now I'm going to look up a couple articles after it. I think it just helps so much more. And I think it gives you such a different mindset going into like, this is my life now. Like, No, exactly. Like you said, being self-sufficient. Because I think, um, you know, your residence clinicians really appreciate when you approach a case and say, you know, I know my cat. I want to do these diagnostics. This is why I think, you know, my cat has hyperthyroidism Mm -hmm. and this is how I would do it. Mm -hmm. I think they really appreciate that because when you're out in practice, you're not going to have someone telling you what to do and you're Mm -hmm. not going to, you you have to think for yourself. And the best part about clinics is that, you know, you, if you approach it like that, then you have a safety net because if you say my cat has hyperthyroidism or my, my cat has heart disease and I want to give it all the fluids in the world, someone's going to say, Jenny, no, you know, that's not how we're going to do that. 
So your safety net, they're, they're not going to let you make a detrimental mistake and they're going to, you know, fine tune your thinking and say, you know, this is how we would do it. And this is how, you know, maybe someone else would do it, but this is, you know, the general approach to this disease process and the treatment and right. whatnot. So I think if you really take advantage of that, you'll get a lot more out of clinics um, than, than you think. Mm-hmm. Right. Mine would be that I would take less things personally. Oh yeah. From like interns, residents, clinicians. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Um, I think that a lot of us, I think that it's a pretty common tale that vet students get, uh, excuse my French, but shat on a, a lot of the times oh, by, yeah. uh, by residents and interns. There's a hierarchy. Um, and I'm not saying that that's right, but I think a lot of the times, and I'm, I'll speak personally, is that we take it like it's an attack on us or we take it mm-hmm. very personally, but... Taking a step back, I think that they're also under an immense amount of stress and they're getting shat on by their Mm -hmm. clinicians and it's just kind of trickling down, which again is not right, but it's the reality of the situation. Oh, Oh, I completely agree. 100%. The amount of times that I went and cried in a fluids room because I was getting yelled at, I mean, I cry a lot anyway, so that doesn't really mean much, but I did would go and cry, but it's like, you can sit there and be like, well, this person hates me and I hate them and blah, blah, blah. Or you can be like, okay, well, I better not make that mistake again and I'm going to make sure that I do things right so that she cannot yell at me about that again. I think it's just... Not, yeah, like, not, don't take things personally. Everybody has a bad day, even clinicians. Exactly. Everyone has a bad day. I think, you know, it's really easy, especially early on, to be like, oh, well, you know, this doctor made a snippy comment at me. But now that I've moved through clinics and I know how stressful it can be, and, mm-hmm. you know, I, I recognize the amount of pressure they're under, not just to see clients and patients, but to also do research and give talks and, you know, advance their training and say for boards. If, you know, someone makes a comment to me in passing that I think is snarky, I'm more likely to be like, maybe they're just having a bad day. And I think giving people the benefit of the doubt, uh, is, is a good thing always. I'm not saying if someone verbally berates you that, um, you know, that's right, but you know, everyone has a bad day. You're going to have a bad day. I'm sure I'm, I'm going to have a bad day when I'm a doctor and and an intern and maybe make a comment to someone that they don't Mm -hmm. appreciate. Um, but yeah, I wish I would have just, if that, you know, when that happened, I would have just said, yeah, that sucks. Like they're not super nice to me right now, but whatever. I'm not going to be working them with them forever. That's not about me. Just move on and don't, you know, don't, don't internalize this. Don't make this about, well, about me. Yeah. Even like, I mean, how many times have you gotten like grilled in rounds and it's like, you just got the patient and you're like, I don't know why the group before me did this. Right. Like, give me a break. I can't figure out everything. Two seconds. Like I just got this case and don't take it personally. They just want you to think things through. They want you to be the doctor. They want you to think like, oh, well, why have we been doing this for this long and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, yeah, you could easily go like, well, I can't believe she sat there and she picked on me and I got embarrassed. It's like, yeah, you did get embarrassed. I get embarrassed. But guess what? You're never going to do that again. Like you're going to fix it and you're going to be on top of your game. So it's just. Yeah. And I'll say another thing kind of, I guess, jumping on that as well is when I first came to clinics, I didn't realize how much, you know, you, you get your basically in lecture. I think the clinicians mainly lecture to you, you know, like the mm-hmm. board of clinicians, but the majority of your time on clinics is probably going to be talking and, uh, you know, communicating with the interns and the mm-hmm. residents. Cause you know, they're normally the ones seeing cases and the clinicians are there to more supervised. Right. Um, and you know, so they're humans too. So just like being friends with them, having conversations oh, with them, such a you, you know, like makes such a difference. And you know, they're, 
they know what it's like. They were just out of vet school interns, you know, just out of vet school residents, not too far out of vet school. They know right. what it's like, mm-hmm. you know, they're humans too. So I think appreciating them, not just as doctors, but as colleagues mm-hmm. and, and, and friends is, is something that, you know, I didn't really value until I got a little farther into uh, clinics. Agreed. Right. I think I've made pretty decent friends with a number of residents simply because you're like, yeah, that sucks. Like I get it. Like it's like you're having a rough day too. Yep. And as long as you can empathize with it and like Jenny said, recognize that they're humans, I think that will take you a long way in clinics. So this has been fantastic. Thank you both so much for your insight commentary. Well, thank you for having us. Oh, Seth, it's been an honor. It's my honor. (laughs) Uh, My (laughs) My last question for both of you. If you could give one piece of advice, one piece of advice only to a vet student of any year in vet school, what would that be? Kelly, start with you. So this is something that I was just told, and it was a piece of advice that I wish I would have been told two years ago because it has helped me a lot. It's that right now you think that there's so much to know and that you there's no possible way that you're going to know everything. But school is for the foundation. School is to get you to a point that you can go out and make logical and rational and ethical decisions. You are not going to be cooking it and killing it and feeling in your zone until five years out. And what, but like, there's apparently articles out there and all this stuff that five years out, your learning curve is going to be so completely different than what you are at one year. It takes five years for you to be the vet that you are going to be. And I think that for a lot of us, we're just like, oh my God, how am I going to be a vet in 91 days? I don't understand this. Just recognize that it takes time, but once you're out in the real world, it is going to be fine. You are going to learn the things you need to know. You are going to get to the place where you need to be. It's just keeping everything in perspective and knowing that things are going to be okay and you're going to be a great vet no matter what. Touche. Wow. Very good. Poignant. <laughs> That's my middle name. I would say um, a piece of advice for a vet student or anyone going into veterinary medicine is that Veterinary medicine is part of your identity, but it is not your whole identity. You are a person outside of work and outside of veterinary medicine. You have interests outside of vet med, whatever that may be. And just make sure it's not your whole life. Make sure that you pay attention and do the things that you love to do outside of veterinary medicine. Um, Make sure you have work-life balance because burnout is real and it will happen. But um, I think that It'll happen less or maybe not to the, you know, extended degree if you have a good balance Mm -hmm. and, you know, you pay attention to your interests and things outside of work. Excellent. What about you, Seth? Give us your advice. Tell us. Lay it on us. We're switching roles here. We're asking you the questions We're the podcasters now. This is intense. Uh, I would say to think about life after vet school while you're in vet school. I think if you get too caught up in the day-to-day, like I got to make the grades or Mm -hmm. I got to answer these questions right for my clinician and you're not thinking about what your end goal is, which is to be a veterinarian, vet school is going to be miserable. Mm -hmm. So it makes it so much easier, in my opinion, 
that I keep envisioning how I'm going to practice when I'm out or how, what my future is going to look like as a doctor and hopefully as a practice owner mm-hmm. and, and kind of trying to paint that picture and like using that as my goal or as my like the, the, the light at the end of the tunnel type of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, that has helped me keep on going. No, that's great. Don't be a prisoner of the moment. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> I think that's that yesterday. the perfect way to end this episode. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Jenny. Thank you, Kelly. You're welcome. You're so, so welcome, welcome, Seth. This has been great. Uh, you guys are going to rock it in your internship year and beyond. We'll see. So. You're going to rock it as a vet. I hope so. I have all the confidence it. in you. Cool. Well, thank you again. This has been a pleasure. So Thank you. Thanks, Seth. Talk to you soon. Bye. Deuces. One more huge thank you to Kelly and Jenny for sharing some awesome insight and having a fun conversation with me today. And a last thank you goes out to today's sponsor, AVMA PLIT. If you're a current veterinary student and a SAFMA member, be sure to sign up for your complimentary malpractice coverage now at avmaplit.com slash unleashed. And last but certainly not least, thank you for listening to the Vet School Unleashed podcast. If you feel so inclined, please leave me a review on iTunes or Apple Podcast. Let us know what you think about the podcast and what we could do better. For resources and more information about the podcast, please visit vetschoolunleashed.com, find me on Instagram at SethTheAlmostVet, or on Facebook. Also, connect with me via email at seth at vetschoolunleashed.com. I would love to hear your thoughts on today's podcast and would love to hear any ideas or thoughts you would have on upcoming podcast topics. Even reach out if you want to be on the podcast yourself and share some insight of your own. Thank you again. We will talk to you next time on Vet School Unleashed, Dissecting the DVM.